0: because I was obsessed with trying to get the cultural texture right. You know, I I am not a 58 years old woman. I am not a transgender woman, and I am not an orthodox lesbian woman or gay woman. But precisely because I am not them is that I'm interested in them. And I see cinema as a a bridge, as a tool to explore precisely what I'm not and and discover what I have in common with them and what is universal Mm. about them and what's human. It's all about empathy, and cinema is an empathy machine.
1: He's not a 58-year-old woman, but a 45-year-old male film director. Sebastián Leló is one of the leading figures of post-dictatorship Chilean cinema, After film school in Santiago, he went into making shorts, completing five between 1995 to 2003, and a documentary based on unedited material from 9-11. Next came four award-winning feature films, The Sacred Family, Christmas and The Year of the Tiger, which are all fairly dark, and then Gloria, made in 2013, which explores the romantic adventures of a 60-year-old office worker in Santiago. That movie, like his other work up to that point was in Spanish, but he's just remade it as Gloria Bell in English, starring Julianne Moore. He's also made Disobedience about Orthodox Jews here in London and won an Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film in 2018 for the movie A Fantastic Woman about a transgender waitress. I'm Georgina Godwin and I'm pleased to say Sebastian Lelo joined me here at Midori House for The Big Interview. Welcome, thank you. Thank you for having me. Sebastian, your last three films have featured women in a really refreshing way that we don't generally see on screen and you show an enormous understanding of them. I wonder where that comes from. Is it perhaps from your mother? What was your relationship like with your mother as a small child?
0: Well, maybe it comes from the fact that I grew up surrounded by women in a matriarchy. My grandmother, my mother, my two sisters have always been very influential. And Gloria, the original Gloria, the character was something like a collage made of anecdotes and stories that I heard from my mother and her friends, many of them divorced and belonging to the same generation. So yeah, it, it has been an important influence.
1: You were born in Argentina, but in yeah. fact, you moved to Chile when you were young, but you identify as Chilean, not Argentinian. Why yes. is that?
0: Oh, because I grew up in Chile and culturally we are we have, we have many things in common but if you grow up in a country you know is where you you feel that you belong to
1: it was a time of huge political unrest in both countries yes. did that influence your childhood i think
0: so because well i was
1: living not in the capital
0: so but in small cities i was always moving from one city to the next because of my stepfather's job so i was always traveling and i didn't grow up in a, an environment that was, you know, uh, surrounded by books or culture. But I guess I was um, curious. But the fact that I was moving from one place to the next so oftenly, I guess, helped me developing, in developing something like an inner world, which was the only thing I could carry with me. The combination of the lack of access that was the rule in those days, you know, dictatorship years to culture, I mean, and information, uh, plus the fact that I was moving so oftenly, I guess, uh, formed me.
1: Mm. Do you think then that you were a very visual child?
0: Yes, I think I was, yeah.
1: I mean, your films are also enormously musical, and but I wonder what came first, that visual, that love of film, or the love of music?
0: I don't know. It's hard for me to identify what was there first. What I do identify is the fact that since I, I was quite young, I started writing. And in Chile, we do have a strong poetic tradition. And poetry was the first thing I discovered. And to read Chilean poetry was my way in to the idea that that those lives were possible and that that kind of way of thinking and inhabiting the world was possible. So it was quite liberating to discover Chilean poetry. And then, as many Chilean teenagers, I wrote a lot... And I thought I was going to be a writer, maybe a a, a novelist. And so that was my way into creation, my access, my door.
1: Because actually you then went on to study journalism.
0: I did. I studied journalism for one year, but I already wanted to study film. The thing is that back in those days, it was really strange to declare that you you wanted to make films because I belong to the generation that went back to the recently reopened film schools they were banned during dictatorship so there is this huge 19 years hiatus in the history of Chilean cinema so I belong to that generation that very organically felt that we had films inside but had no idea how to do them or or there was not a a system in terms of an industry that you could work on so it was just uh, yeah pure intuition
1: um, and what gave you that confidence, if you like, to go off finally to film school? And, and why film? What, why that medium for your creativity? Mm. At some point I felt that writing
0: wasn't enough, but I was very young, so, so I was still exploring. But I was interested in, in painting, I was interested in um, maybe studying uh, visual arts, maybe theatre. I just had so many different interests that I thought that film was capable of reuniting them all.
1: But I mean, a huge leap, as you say, no tradition really of cinema for like almost the last two decades, going off absolutely into the unknown.
0: Yeah, it's the thing that I admire about the generation I belong to. There is something very organic and very natural. And I remember when when I met all my friends that are now making films, and we were doing our first films around two thousand and five. It was like, hey, I want to make. Films? Me too. How do you do them? I have no idea. But there was this hungerness and this uh, eagerness for telling stories in film. And of course, in the the previous 20 years, there was film in Chile, you know, but it was either in the underground or exile. I have seen and experienced how the industry, which is still a very fragile industry, has uh, been rebuilt. So now there are schools, criticism and... uh, Financing. I mean, the whole machinery that allows a small country cinematography to be alive, even mm. though it's a very fragile industry.
1: Oh, and you've made such a huge contribution to it. In fact, are you the only Chilean ever to win an Oscar? For a feature film, yes. Amazing. Tell me about your um, early work, because you started with a number of short films.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was a film student and I made three, so to say, big short films. And then I tried to make... a so to say, traditional feature film, and I, I couldn't put it together financially. So my first film, La Sagrada Familia, The, the Sacred Family, was shot in three days and edited for a years because I, I shot like a 100 hours of footage. And that was my really like my beginning.
1: You were just 21 when you did that. I mean, it did incredibly well. I think it was shown at over 100 festivals. It won multiple international prizes. Did that early success influence the way you worked at all? And if you were to go back, as indeed you've done with Gloria, but if you went back Um, and looked at that film, would you have done it differently?
0: No, no, because what I recognize of myself in that film is the fact that everyone was telling me that's not how you do films. You should not do it like that. And whenever I'm told that, I go in precisely in that direction, you know. So I, I like that, um, the challenging aspect of uh, finding your own solution, mm. you know. So yeah, I didn't have any money to finance a, sh- a proper shooting. So I've, out of desperation, created this system where I could generate all the materials in three days and then spend a whole year organizing them. And that's how that first film was made.
1: It then opened doors because it was so successful and you were able to make another two films, one in 2009, that was Christmas, and then The Year of the Tiger in 2011. I wonder how those stories come to you.
0: Slowly and mysteriously. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like in one download. It's it's really, I don't know, it's, it's hard to recognise the moment of... Uh, Eureka! How you say mm-hmm. Because there's never only one. I usually have like more than one idea that I'm very interested in and, and then for some reason some of them just don't survive. It's like when, when you see the little turtles running towards the ocean and the birds are eating them. It's the same with with ideas. Uh, at some point, for some mysterious reason there's one that is just better equipped or it just survives, you know, and it's the same with films, yeah.
1: I love that, the idea of a great film as the turtle that made it. Yeah, it's like that. Uh, Then we come to Gloria in Mm. 2013. Now, the story, I'm sure, as most people know, set in Santiago, centred on Gloria, who's this free-spirited older woman and and her relationship with a a former naval officer she meets out at singles clubs. Huge award-winning film in Spanish. How was it received by the Spanish-speaking public?
0: To my surprise, amazingly well. I would say in its scale and for a film in Spanish, it did really, really well. I mean, it was released with success in all Latin America and in Spain and then in many, many other countries. It's the first time in my career that I really had real international distribution. That was the film that really changed everything for me. It's kind of like that first film we were talking about opened the door for me to have the chance to make two more films and i see those three first films as as my second film school mm-hmm. i was really finding my way to write to film to direct actors to edit etc and then gloria was the first time that i when i felt that i really wanted to connect before that i wasn't obsessed with uh, reaching out with uh, finding more transversal audiences but with gloria that moment came naturally, organically, and I was prepared to try out, you know, and, and to see if, uh, if I could really connect with a bigger audience. And yeah, and it happened and it was so exciting to realize that, you mm-hmm. know, and once you you have managed to for that to work, it's hard to go back. You
1: won more. Mm. Well, you got more, didn't you? Because A Fantastic Woman, your next film, won an Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. That was in 2018. Now, the film's about Marina, who's a transgender woman uh, who works as a waitress, a, a nightclub singer, and how she's affected by the death of her older boyfriend. But it wasn't initially about a transgender woman at all, was no. it?
0: Mm. No, no, no. At the beginning, I was trying to make the, the male version of Gloria. Kind of like the, the counterpart or the, the reverse, so to say, and explore what was going on with um, men belonging to that generation. But uh, I just couldn't. I tried and I ended up killing that character. <laughs> and it was all about Marina, who is a, a transgender young girl living in contemporary Santiago.
1: Coming to that character and indeed casting that character, mm. I want to talk a little bit about collaboration because I know you co-wrote the film, but yeah. then also one of the people that was advising you became so key that yeah. she eventually took the lead role.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was um, I like to work, work like that, you know, from inside out. So you, you're following intuitions and you're following what moves you and, uh, and then the process uh, slowly unfolds. And um, you never know where you're going to end up, you know, in terms of what the film will really be about. And in this case, after getting rid of the idea of making a film about a man in his mid-50s, everything was about the younger woman that she was. he was having uh, a relationship with, uh, an affair with. And we were exploring the idea of um, looking for who this woman could be. And then, just because of the process of working and, you know, exploring and playing with different ideas, the idea of this woman being a transgender woman popped up, and that was like, I heard like a huge clack inside my head, and I was immediately excited and petrified, because I, I thought, okay, this is really interesting, it's really dangerous, because there are so many traps that you can fall into aesthetically, politically, but at the same time that's what makes it so appealing. And then I felt that we could not continue writing, we we had to see who was out there. And since uh, I was living in Berlin for many years, I was a bit detached of what was going on in, in my city, Santiago. So we met with two transgender women and they all said you should meet Daniela, Daniela Vega. She sings, she has some acting experience, she has a great personality. She could be your the advisor you're looking for. Because I was looking for an advisor. I just wanted to know if I wanted to make that story to go on. And so we met, and I was blown away by, by her personality, by her intelligence, by her beauty. I was uh, very challenged and excited, and, and she was funny, and she was political, and she was I don't know. It was really an incredible first meeting and she generously accepted to become the project's friend, advisor. So I went went back to Berlin and, and we talked like for a year via Skype and we became friends. And we were writing, me and my co-writer, and Daniela was always I was always talking to her. She had no idea what we were writing about. But somehow her stories and her her experiences were making their way into the script. And once, even though it's not a biographical script at all, once I had the, the first draft, I thought, OK, now who can interpret this? And I felt that I really wanted the role to be interpreted by a transgender woman, not by a, an actor or an, or an actress. Uh, cisgender, I mean. And suddenly the idea that Daniela could really be the one struck me. So I sent the script to her and said to her, "Would you like to play Marina? You know, would you like to interpret the main role?" And she said, "Let let me read it." And she read it and, and she <laughs> called back and, and said to me that I was completely nuts. That uh, I wanted her to to drive. She didn't know how to drive, to fly, to sing, to you know, like it was too much, and she was wasn't going to be able to do it. And I said to her, "Well, I will help you." and I will protect you, and and you will help me and protect me, and we'll do it together. And she said, well, I need three days. And after three days, she called back and said, okay, I'm in.
1: Not only did you produce a tremendous artistic masterpiece, but you also changed policy around this in Chile.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that was really unexpected. You know, when you're making a film, you're dealing with so many challenges and problems. You're really hoping that what you're doing will work as a film, that the story will be well told. Hopefully people will be touched, moved. If you're really lucky, people will, will like it or love it, and and that's more than enough. You know, you're not thinking in awards or or in changing culture. You just want to do something that has strength, understanding that if it does, maybe it will make its way into the fabric of society. But in this case... It was so strong in that sense. I mean, the film was shown for the first time in Berlin Film Festival in February of 2017. There was a dormant project of a gender identity bill in the Chilean Congress that has been there for years, I think six years. Of course, a collective fight, but no one was doing anything. And the film came out in Berlin. It won some bears and the public discussion slowly was reactivated in Chile about the need to have a gender identity bill because transgender people were not recognized by the state. They were just not considered at all. Back then, of course, all the right-wing said over our dead bodies. You know, God created men and women, and this is an aberration, etc., etc. But then the film won the Oscar that was a year after Berlinale, and so after a year of discussion. So some minds had already changed and opened to the possibility of, well, maybe they are legitimate. They need their own set of laws to protect them and to recognise the legitimacy of their existence. I think that six months after the Oscar, the first gender identity bill in Chile was approved.
1: You really immersed yourself in the transgender community, as you say, did you do the same for disobedience into the world of British Orthodox Jews? Well, I tried to. I mean, that was, that was
0: really hard because it's such a secretive and private world. So either you belong to it or you don't have any access to it. But yeah, we were very lucky because we found many... Allies, people from within the community.
1: And Naomi Alderton, the initial writer, is so fabulous. Isn't oh yeah, she? she's amazing. Yeah.
0: Well, she was our way in to the community, and it was through her that uh, we ended up having more than ten consultants that belonged to that community in Hendon. And um, so I was calling them, and the entire team was calling them every day except Fridays. <laughs> you know, uh, but that was the only way to to collect. All the information that we needed, because I was obsessed with trying to get the cultural texture right. You know, I, I am not a 58-year-old years-old woman. I am not a transgender woman, and I am not an orthodox lesbian woman, or gay woman. But precisely because I am not them, is that I am interested in them, and I see cinema as a, as a bridge, as a tool to explore precisely what I'm not, and, and see and, and discover what I have in common with them and what is universal Mm. about them and what's human. It's all about empathy. And cinema is an empathy machine.
1: I'm thinking particularly here of of the love scene, the sex scene in Disobedience. Mm. I wonder how easy it is to get your actors to trust you to that extent because there must have had to have been a huge amount of trust to something that I presume was quite choreographed.
0: It was, yeah, of, of course. I mean, sex scenes are very hard to shoot because, well, they are just so challenging and the actors are so exposed. So I really believe in choreographing everything and hopefully at the end offering the spectator the feeling that everything is really happening, you know? But yeah, somehow that scene became more and more important as the shooting was coming closer. I understood that that was somehow the heart of the film and it was all about duration. It had to have an important amount of time within the hierarchy of the film. It ended up being quite a long love scene, erotic scene, and it made me think a lot about the representation of eroticism in nowadays culture. We have so much access to everything that nothing impresses us anymore. I would say it's hard to see something that is really erotic. So the challenge for me was to hopefully make a really erotic scene that could communicate what was going on with them inside in terms of feelings and thoughts without nudity. That was a challenge for me. Mm. And I'm very grateful because uh, Rachel Weiss and Rachel McAdams really understood the spirit
1: of the idea and and, and then gave it all. Then we come to your latest film. Now, this is Gloria Bell. Now, we know that this is a reimagining, really, rather than a remake Mm. of your original Gloria.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is the same story, but I took it like a theater play that you stage again in a different moment of your life with a different set of wonderful actors. But you have evolved and uh, your style has, you know, evolved as well, hopefully. So you won't play it exactly in the same way. But it's not about deforming the original melody. It's about honoring what worked about it and what was universal about it but find a new vehicle to bring it back to life. And I learned that you cannot remake a film, you can only make a film. So the fact that I had told a story, of course, helped in the understanding I had from what what I was portraying, but it didn't help at all when I was shooting. When I was shooting, I was like dealing with the problems that you deal with when you're making a film and you're, you're trying to make all the elements, well, click. It's like a cover, of a song that you play again with a new rock band.
1: How different is it making a film for a Spanish-speaking audience and an English-speaking audience? I was
0: very concerned about that when I made Disobedience. And I think I, I came to a solution because I, I remember telling the actors that if anything that they were saying sounded funny or out of tune or or not accurate, to please let me know, so we can find a, an alternative solution. So that was the way I found to protect myself to the fact that because English is not my first language, I, I'm deaf to some aspects of it, of mm-hmm. course. And I could never manage the the level of nuance that I'm used to work with in Spanish. And I love dialogue and I love characters. And I'm, my films are most of the time are very character driven. So dialogue is hugely important. I applied the same technique again with Gloria Bell. I said to Julianne Moore or to, to John Turturo to please let me know if anything would, was sounding strange. And so we kept changing and changing stuff until they felt comfortable with, mm, with mm. What, what they were saying.
1: Of course, Julianne Moore was the absolute driving force behind this film.
0: Oh, absolutely. It wouldn't exist if it wasn't for, for Julianne Moore. It's, it's because of my admiration for her that this film exists. And actually, there is a funny misunderstanding at the origins of this project because I was about to go and shoot A Fantastic Woman and Disobedience back-to-back. I was told that Julianne Moore had seen my film, Gloria, and loved it, and she wanted to meet with me, but she wasn't interested in remaking it, which made sense to me because I wasn't necessarily interested in remaking it myself. But I was honoured by the fact that she wanted to meet and I have always admired her. So we met, and I was very touched by the fact that she was talking so passionately about the character, Gloria, and about the story. and the, She had a deep understanding of the story. So towards the end of the meeting, I said, well, thank you. It's been an honor, and I totally get it if you don't want to do a remake. And she said to me, no, what, what are you saying? I would, I would only do it if you directed it. And then I immediately said, I would only do it if you're in it. And we hugged, and that was it. That's how it
1: was born. Fantastic. I mean, and she has the potential, as all women of my age are, to be secondary character. We are, yeah. we are wives, we are mothers, we are colleagues, we are teachers. But you have her in full frame mm. all of the time. Mm. Gloria is there and she's not a tragic figure.
0: No. And actually, you're so right. For me, the strategy of the film has always been to take a secondary character and turn her into an, an absolute protagonist. So the camera is always with her. Gloria is always framed. There's no one frame or second in the film where her body is not present. So we see her in all kinds of situations, public or private. We see her going through the entire emotional spectrum. We see her from every possible physical angle, dressed, naked. So we really get to know her. And sometimes the scenes are not necessarily about her, but the camera is with her. So we... We learn or we understand that she is the protagonist of her life and the film is about her life. That's the strategy of the film, that by insisting in observing her, allow, invite or maybe force the spectator to end up feeling the world from within her skin.
1: And we feel that she is free. She's this liberated woman. And for me, there was one key shot, which is when she's getting her hair done, and she has all the silver foils (sighs) and the round hairdryer behind her. She is Lady Liberty, isn't she?
0: Something like that.
1: It was ex- extraordinary. I mean, I feel that you have subverted the genre of romantic comedy. I mean, would you, what genre is this?
0: A subverted romantic comedy? I would feel comfortable with that. <laughs> because, you know, the narrative, the traditional narrative of romantic comedy is that it's all about the creation of a couple. And this is all about precisely the opposite, about the, the fact that Gloria understands that she can be just fine with herself. And she doesn't need to look outside to be okay.
1: I need to talk about music. It has the most fantastic soundtrack. Thank you. Um, and it's just these banging disco classics that I suspect both you <laughs> and I grew up with, which have every every opportunity of being cheesy but aren't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, but particularly I'm thinking of the long last shot of the film and it's to Laura Branigan's Gloria and yeah. it's just one long continuous shot and yet it... Fantastically works. Mm. Uh, do you have the music going in your head, even actually physically? Are you listening as you're writing and are you using the same music that you write to in the film?
0: I love music and I love using music in films. It's something that I just adore doing. When I'm writing, I, I do have playlists for that specific project because they allow me to get in the right mood or. Gloria for me is a hidden musical film. Each two or three minutes, a new song appears and, and, and Glory is either singing or dancing to it and, and somehow the energy of the song and the lyrics resonate with her process.
1: Mm, it's it's part of the narrative, it's isn't it? Narrative. You know, no more lonely nights, Exactly. Uh, all a, out of love. A laugh. little more love. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. and, and Glory at the end, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah.
0: It's kind of like a Greek... Chorus? Something like that.
1: But to a disco beat. Exactly. How in, fantastic. A very, in a very
0: pop way. I <laughs> mean, because
1: I mean, you did that in Fantastic Woman as well with You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman yeah, yeah. and then the uh, the song she sings about the newspaper which is extraordinary yeah. and the fantastic opera at the end. And yeah. in a way, I wonder if for you is making a film like composing a piece of music?
0: Yes. When film is at its best is when it's similar to music. When it's it doesn't need any permission to be. It's just all about rhythm and structure. It is somehow free from everything else. They have lots of similarities.
1: Mm, How is Julianne Moore with all the singing and dancing?
0: Julianne always says that she's not a very good singer and not a very good dancer, but, I mean, it was great fun for us to shoot these scenes. I really like the fact that she sings a little bit out of tune, and that's part of what the scenes are about. She's so enthusiastic that it's not about singing perfectly, but singing with a heart.
1: Sebastian, if you weren't a filmmaker, what would you be?
0: Oh, a musician.
1: And will your next film be a musical?
0: It will have a lot of music, of course. And I would love to make a real musical one day. We'll see if that's possible.
1: Well, I am so glad that you are indeed a filmmaker, Sebastian. Thank, Elia, you. thank you so much. Thank you. My thanks to Sebastian Lelio. Gloria Bell is out in UK cinemas now. The big interview was produced by Yolene Goffin and edited by Cassie Gilpin. I'm Georgina Godwin. Thank you for listening.